Nancy and I traveled to um, to Israel, and one day we spent in Bethlehem. And uh, Bethlehem is an interesting city, and whenever you go to any one of these sites, what you end up with is several different denominations of churches that all wanted to be at the site. And so there'll be the Orthodox and the Catholic and the Arminian and all of these different kinds of things. But when you go to the church of the Nativity or the church in Bethlehem, there's an interesting phenomenon. There was a time where when the Muslims or the Moors took over, that they used to love to run their horses inside the buildings, inside the churches. And that really bothered the people that ran one of the chapels. And so what they did is they created a smaller doorway. And so the doorway is only about this tall. So literally you almost have to crawl through this doorway to get into the Church of the Nativity or the Church in Bethlehem. Because they realized that the only way they could keep the horses out is they had to make an entrance that was too small for a horse. They had to create a narrow way. Jesus Christ is coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount today. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the invitation. You know, he's just told everybody what the kingdom is going to be like and what the details of all of that is going to look like. And now here, at the end of it, he's going to give an invitation for us to join him in the kingdom. But he starts in an interesting way with his red letters. Because what he does in his red letters is he gives an honest invitation of what it means to be in the kingdom. And this is what he says, if you want to pick it up, we're in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And he says this, he says, Enter by the narrow gate. You know, there are people that really struggle with Christianity, and the reason they struggle with Christianity is because of the narrow gate. They understand that there's a cost. Jesus Christ has just for two and a half chapters preached a sermon that talks about the realities of what it means to be kingdom people, but he, he does something really great at the end. He's honest and he says, you're going to have to enter by a narrow gate. And he goes on and explains why. He says this. He says, For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. In other words, there's an easier way. That's really what we find out. Is, is Have you ever... Have you ever talked to somebody and, and you explain how to do something and after you get done explaining it, they pause for a second and they say, is there an easier way? Is there another way? Um, Cobble Hill is interesting because Cobble Hill over here, it has two paths of it. it one path is called the, the easy path and one is called the harder path. You know, and uh, uh, I've, I've taken both of them and I think they're lying. They're all a little bit challenging. But there is a sense that you find over and over again that people are trying to make the gate wider, aren't they? Well, God didn't really mean that. Well, I, I think if you take a look at, at his loving nature, he would never have said this. But Jesus 
gave an honest invitation and he says, narrow is the gate. You know, the, uh, I've used this terminology for years and, and I've, I've had to think about it. Is, am I willing in my life over and over again to take the narrow path? I, I, I got a text from, from, from Scott Benty who had asked me what I'm preaching on and he was looking at what McGee said and he said that people don't understand that the gate is narrow but there's a widening path as we experience the freedom of Christ and we begin to trust him more and more that he really knows what's best for us. Because if we're really honest, the wide way is bushwhacking through life. The narrow way is staying on the path. In fact, he goes on and says this in this passage. He says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus Christ has just explained all the details of living in the kingdom, and then he says something really honest in his invitation. He says, Only a few are going to take this road. Yesterday, if we would have had fireworks, there would have been hundreds and hundreds of people there. But the day after, how many people are in church? Very few, because the way is narrow. And few find it. In fact, he goes on and explains something, because he says, you need to be careful, because there's a lot of inviters who say they're inviting you into the kingdom. But here's how he describes deceptive inviters he says beware of false prophets he goes on and says this about them he says who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves have you ever noticed that some of the people who don't quite believe what we believe that would be involved in what we might call a cult or we might call a group of people that have gone astray from the faith and biblical understanding of things have you noticed that they use the same words that we do I had two young men that wear white shirts and have little things that say elder on them sitting in my office several months ago. And they used all the same words that I usually use to describe faith. But I kept on having to ask this question. Well, what do you mean by that? When you say Jesus is the Son of God, what does that mean to you? Does that mean that he's divine and he's exactly like the Father? Well, not exactly. Well, what do you mean by this? Well, not exactly. And he tells us in his word that sometimes there are going to be people that stand in front of us or are on the television or are on the radio or who write books and they're going to explain their understanding of Christianity and as we take a look at it, they're going to be saying all the right words but the more you read into it, you realize, wait a minute here. They're trying to look like a sheep, but they walk like a duck. And so he's telling us that you need to be careful because one of the things that we're going to struggle with is that sometimes there's going to be someone that's trying to make the way easier, trying to give us a little more space on the path. Trying to make it going, oh, if you just understood this. If, you, if I read one more book of somebody who's discovered the miracle that nobody else knew, you know, if you just knew this one thing, your faith would be different. 
I tend to find a neat place to file all those books. Because it's not that simple. Because narrow is the way and hard is the path. But just like we're constantly trying to tell the hikers that come into our area, you have to stay on the path. You can't make the path wider. Well, but the path is muddy sometimes. You have to walk through the mud. Oh, the, but the path, it, it's not as smooth. I have to hop on rocks on the path. Yeah, but that's the path. And we have a lot of people are like, well, if, if well, there's got to be a way to make the path easier. If we just could have a committee and sit down with Jesus and have him understand where, how he got it wrong, you know, they don't realize, but that's what they're saying, aren't they? It, got, it goes on to describe more about them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You know? And if you think about it, what is in Ephesians, I mean in Galatians chapter 5, it explains fruit as attitudes that are a part of the kingdom. And if all of a sudden you look and you don't see the right fruit, you need to be careful about following that inviter because that person might be changing the way to the kingdom. He goes on and describes it like this. He says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In the Old Testament, do you know how they explain what a good prophet and a bad prophet was? If a prophet ever said anything that was wrong, they just stoned him to death. Because it was a very serious thing to be a false prophet. And yet, today, we live around this, and once in a while, we have to explain that there's someone that, as we get to know them better, we realize that they're not a true prophet. And that isn't fun. Occasionally, one of you will come up to you and say, I really like this author, and I'll go, uh. Because as I read, they've somehow affected the way. And they've somehow affected the path. And I listen to some of their attitudes and the way they approach things. It's very interesting. The church is keying into this in a stronger way in the last 20 years. There have been several prominent pastors that have been removed, and they haven't been removed for sexual impropriety. They've been removed because their attitudes and their leadership style did not show the kind of fruit that a shepherd should have. God is calling us to be fruit checkers, okay? How many of you, when you go to the store, just randomly pick fruit? No. You pick it up, and every one of you has these little tricks, right? You know, like the watermelon trick. If it knocks and it sounds a certain way, you know that it's right. And I'm like, I, I don't understand that one. Or, you know, if the avocado just feels just so firm but not too firm, you know, or all of those different kinds of things that we do. We have no problem doing that. And yet God is calling us to be discerning in the kingdom of God and to be hard on leaders. In fact, in James chapter 3, it says, not many of you should seek to be teachers, Right? Because there's a greater judgment. 
we have to be careful that the people that are inviting us into the kingdom are inviting us into the real kingdom, not their made-up kingdom. It, it is so vitally important. He goes on and said this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. In other words, you've got to understand there's a gardener. His name is God. And occasionally, you'll watch someone, you're like, man, they were really popular. I thought, what happened to them? God realized that they were not producing the kind of fruit that he wanted, and he pruned them from the kingdom. You see, there is a narrow way. There's this invitation to a narrow way, but we have to be so careful because none of us will ever choose a narrow way automatically. We always analyze it. You know, when, when we were in Bethlehem and that entrance was there, I was like, is there another way into this building? You know, this, this feels embarrassing, you know, to bend way over and have my rear end up in the air so I can get into a door while there are other people behind me going, let's take pictures of the door. You know, you know, and it's like, you know, where am I going to end up on Instagram? You know, uh, you know, I, I didn't enjoy it. I was glad that the exit was a normal door. I was thinking about backing out of that, and I was going, no, this isn't going to be fun at all. And there are times that we need to be really careful and realize that the narrow path is a harder path. And, but God, out of his love, knows what freedom looks like. And freedom isn't always having this extra space. Freedom is the narrow path that God gives. But there are going to be people that are going to try to give you extra freedom in Christ. And in your spirit, you're going to be told this isn't right. I, I had a conversation with several people this week, and somebody lovingly explained to me that I was creating a wider path, and God was calling us to a narrow path. I was thankful for the right kind of voice that spoke into the moment. Now, this is a hard thing. Because, you know, every Sunday when we get together, we always give an invitation so that people can accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, right? We always explain that there's a prayer that you can pray, and, and yet there seems to also need to be a change in life that comes along with this. Jesus gives another warning at the end here. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. There's got to be a change in us. Yeah, we pray the prayer, but all of a sudden, are we bothered by sin? All of a sudden, are we changed? He goes on and says this about this ineffectual faith. He says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? And didn't we not cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And Jesus was going to respond on that day and say this. And, when I, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. You know, I read these verses and I don't know what your faith is like. But when I read these verses and I know about my own struggle with sin my Romans 7 experience with sin, 
the things that I don't want to do or the things that I do and the things that I shouldn't do, you know? I think that once in a while we take a look at these verses and we have to say, wait a minute here. God, show me that my faith is real. Even as I struggle in this life of flesh and with the, the sins of the flesh. Because the last thing I would ever want is just because somebody had said the formula, they think that they're in the kingdom alone, but it never changes them. I, I remember being at a funeral for a, a young person who, who died in, in the, the Christian school ministry that we had. And I remember that one of the, the teachers from the school stood up to the pulpit was there and said, repeat after me, and made everybody repeat the sinner's prayer at that moment. And then he said this okay now you're all saved and and there's something inside of me that just shook and i'm like oh no 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 it's not that simple there's a heart change that comes from this there's a humility that brought you there you know the narrow gate it's it's not fun to all of a sudden go oh god i'm really messed up Oh, oh God, I, I sin a lot and, and I just do what I want and I, I don't care what you want. And, and God, I, I, I humble myself before you and ask you to be my Savior. The narrow gate day for many of us was a hard day, if we're honest, until we accepted Jesus and then it got easier, right? I've listened to your stories some of you fought the Lord on it. Some of you tried to negotiate and say, is there another way? And he says, no, there's only a narrow way. This is the only way you get there. This is the only way it can take place. And God is calling each one of us to make sure that our faith is real. In the same way that we need to be checking about who gives us an invitation, we need to ask ourselves, how did we receive that invitation? Has that changed us? I love this story of the man that began child evangelism fellowship. He started having this conviction that maybe children could get saved. But it was not like a popular idea at the time. This would have been in the 30s and the 40s. And so he decided to try it out. So he got to know the little neighbor boy and eventually he told him about Jesus and he asked him, would you like Jesus to be your personal savior? And he said, yes, I would. And that little boy got saved. And about a month later, his mom came over to, to the house and said, Hey, I need to talk to you. I, I noticed that you've been talking to my son. And what in the world are you telling him? And he started feeling really guilty, like, Oh no, I am in so much trouble. And then the mother said this, Because ever since you started talking to him, he is changed. He's kinder and more loving and more gentle. Why? Because the fruit was starting to come out of his life and the change was real. You know, we can't just man up and be Christian. We have to be transformed by a saving invitation to have Jesus Christ be your Savior. Yes, there has to be a moment where you pray the prayer. But that prayer has got to change the way you live your lives. And that's what he was challenging the people to. That would have been, I can't imagine sitting there and Jesus saying that and him them going, wait a minute here. Are you saying I might not be in? I thought it was in. Wait, am I now not in? 
These are not easy words that Jesus is saying. He goes on and says this. Here's how you know that your faith is real. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you have a Bible in front of you, I would encourage you to underline the word and does them. You see, faith has got to start affecting our actions. And he goes on and explains that. And he says this. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, because it was founded on the rock. He goes on in the next verse, verse 26, and he says, And everyone who sears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You see, you have to ask yourself, what is your foundation? What are you built on? When I was a little kid, we used to sing a song. It went like this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rains, they came a-tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. But there's another verse. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains, they came a-tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went smash! So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? COVID is a good test for your faith. You know why? Is your faith built on the CDC or is it built on the KJV? Or the ESV? Or the NIV? What's your faith built on? When you think about your faith and you think about the crisis in life, what is it built on? When you think about the end of your life, and the celebration of life that might be there. What's that celebration going to be built on? Because God is telling us that not only do we need to check the fruit of our life, but we need to check the foundation of our life. I've gone to a lot of worldview training, and one of the guys that does worldview training says, we don't have to smash the buildings that people built. 
We just need to take our squirt gun and squirt at the sandy foundation that it's built on. Because if you ask the right questions about their foundation, it'll fall on its own. You don't need to dismantle it. Wow, that's truth. God is calling us to make sure that there's the right fruit in our life and there is the right foundation to our life. You see, these two passages are kind of juxtapositions against each other. See, we, we have to make sure that we have accepted an honest invitation and we don't have a deceitful inviter. It scares me to think that there are a lot of false religions of all different kinds, some in the name of Jesus and some without the name of Jesus, and their inviters seem to be better than us sometimes. Because we can be so timid. Oh, well, we don't want to offend anybody. You want to, well, I, you didn't make the way narrow. You know? You, you didn't make the path the kind that they have to humble themselves. You know? To tell somebody they're a sinner today, they don't like to hear that. Hey, I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, I was listening to a, a podcast yesterday as I was making sawdust in my, in my workshop, and, and this lady, the, the, the podcast questioned this lady, and the lady, he asked this lady this question, and when he said it, I just shook. He says, so what's the gospel of your life? What's the message you want everybody to hear? And I'm like, wow, why would you put it that way? And she immediately says, the gospel of my life is whatever I decide is right, is right. Because see, wide is the way that leads to destruction. She says, I used to go to church, but they're always telling you what to do, and they are so judgmental. No, they're not telling you what to do. I'll show you what's telling you what to do. This is telling you what to do. This is the hiking trail manual, and it says narrow is the road. It isn't my idea it's God's idea. They're rejecting me when they don't want to hear about the narrow road. They're rejecting God. Amen. We need to make sure that we're listening to the right inviters in our life. And there are a lot of people, and, and we used to, it used to be so simple. There would be certain books. I could tip them on their side, and I could see the publishing house, and I'd go, oh, I can read this one. This will be okay. You know what? I've got to tell you, in Christianity, it doesn't work as well that, well that way anymore. We have to make sure that we're following fruitful leaders. But the second part of it is this. The only way we know whether or not our faith is real is if it's storm-tested. That's what tells you that your faith is real. Where you turn in the middle of the storm is the greatest indicator of the faith that you have in our life. You know... I, here at our church, trust God more is a simple little phrase that reminds every one of us what we're supposed to do during a storm, isn't it? And the word that goes with trust God more, if you look over there, is surrender. It's hard to do this in life. You know? It's hard to be on that narrow road. Some of you are in the, are in the narrow road of health. You have to listen to things the doctors are telling you you don't want to do, but it's, it's how you have life. Some of you are on the narrow road financially, and it's because maybe either you've made some decisions that were, were poor, and now you're trying to find the freedom in Christ, 
But, you know, there's visas always telling you, you need that today, right? You know, uh, I watched a video about this woman. She decided she didn't have to follow any of the COVID policies because she had an American Express Platinum card. <laughs> you know? And she was so important. But I want to tell you something about American Express Platinum cards. I used to put them in envelopes. And you know what? They go in the same envelope that a regular American Express card goes into. And you know what? American Express wants their money as much as they want the person with the regular card's money. When we went to buy a house, they were nice enough to give us a $20,000 line of credit. I said, I didn't ask for this. Oh, but you want this because how can you have a new house without having new furniture? You know? Oh, and you need new bathrooms? And new kitchen cabinets. Have you noticed the whole switch in HGTV? Year, years ago, it was this old house, which was just trying to make an old house livable. Now it's like I buy a house for 120000 and now I have to put another 120000 in it to have shinier things to walk around. That's the world that we live in. And I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong, and I know that some of you, that's your living but there is a part of it that we have to be so careful of. And the storms, COVID is challenging our faith right now. The, the, the racial unrest in our country should challenge our faith a little bit. Raising children should challenge your faith. Thinking about having children someday should challenge your faith. These are the storms of life. Some of them we get to watch, like, like in, in, in the state of Florida, we can watch, and the little cone tells us in three and a half days that we're going to die. You know, it's, it's there, and it's just, and you get to watch it for days. Other storms are like tornadoes that just kind of show up, and we never knew that they were going to be there. But they tell us about our faith, and they tell us about this reality. So Jesus is done preaching. I don't know if he sat down or what he did at this point. And this was the response to Jesus Christ preaching. It says, And when Jesus Christ finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one with authority, not as the scribes. Well, someone asked me why I usually preach through a book instead of preach topics. Because it's a lot easier to stay inside the authority of verse by verse than it is to cherry pick and teach the Word of God. Once in a while, I'll, I'll preach some on a topic and I'll pull in the verses that talk about that topic and I will be absolutely nervous. Do you know why? Because somehow I know I can twist that and I don't want to and I want the authority of what God says to guide us. So here's my challenge to you. I think in the next two weeks, you need to keep on reading through the Sermon on the Mount. These are red letters. These are things that Jesus said. And if we're going to be kingdom people, we need to be careful and understand what the king says. And what a great king he is. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. But he's also your savior. For some of you, the challenge today is that you've never entered through the narrow gate. You keep on looking at it and going, that's a pretty little gate. <laughs> I'm going to lose all my freedom. 
but you don't understand something, God wired you and He knows how you work best. You know? The difference between a relationship with God and, and just doing it on your own is the difference between a one-speed bicycle and a really good mountain bike. God knows what gears are best for different parts of our lives, and that's why He set up the kingdom. When He created you, He knew what was best for you. But some of you need to humble yourself, and for the first time today, you need to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. You need to pray that prayer, because you haven't prayed it for real yet. You need to tell Him that you're a sinner. You need to ask Him to be your Savior. And you need to thank Him for dying on the cross for you. Those three simple things, that's what you need to do. Some of you in this room, when you take a look at life and you take a look at fruit and you look at your foundation, you need to say, I think I'm in the kingdom, but I'm not sure. Well, then you need to have some conversation with the Lord about that. He will affirm that to you. But you need to make sure you're in the kingdom. And for those of us who are in the kingdom, we have to stop doing road construction. Okay? We have to stop having these conversations with God where we're saying, now God, I don't know what you were thinking when you put together this part of the path. Could we pave it? Can we put in some stairs here? I'm feeling a little bit cramped. And you need to surrender because what did it say is the key to a to, to foundation? The one that does the word. So I don't know what ask God is asking you of, but I would say yes, Lord, to him today. Let's pray. Dear God, I think the hardest thing in all of this is that you are a gentleman. That you don't push your way in. That because you gave us free will, you let us muddle instead of just obey. I pray for the people in this room who have never asked you to be their personal Savior. And I pray, God, that today would be the day that they would be willing to stoop down, to humble themselves and begin their relationship with you. I pray for those people who are maybe confident that they're in the kingdom, but their lives show no fruit of that that the storms in life show sand instead of solid rock. And I pray, God, that they would take the time to make sure that they are in the kingdom because you've got to know that you know. And for the rest of us, God, forgive us for how much we complain about how narrow the road is. Maybe we don't do it out loud, but sometimes we do it in our head. And help us to learn to do the word, to walk the path, and to find the freedom that comes from surrender and trusting the God of heaven. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Can you flip through the rest of the slides? I, my, my remote isn't working well. Um, so uh, I'm sure you heard the news. If you saw our newsletter about Julia...